time for the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. From the Fricker Studio. On Classic Hits 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Roto-Rooter. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Grit. By M.J. Brown Construction Company. Premier Bank. Campus Poly By Financial Design Insurance Agency. Snyder's Flooring Outlet. Ohio Automotive Supply. Seneca Millwork. Five Star Maintenance. And by the Ropey Corporation. And now. Let's go to Lance and Matt. Coming to you live from the Fricker Studio. For the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle here from the Frickers Studios on ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB and Classic. It's 96.7 WBV on Lance Morris. Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night for another edition of the show. Matt, how are we doing? Woo! Playoffs, baby! It is postseason time. I Man, I'm so excited. This is such a fun time for fall sports season, getting in the postseason, everyone in playoff action now. No no more regular season nonsense. No more, hey, we'll get them next week. Not a big deal. It, it's win or go home time across the state of Ohio in all sports. And, uh, man, it just makes it so much more entertaining, so much more fun. The, the hype level and the energy level gets cranked up to about 50 around the whole state. It, it, it's going to be a great postseason across the board. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to this show tonight. We've got an amazing one queued up for you guys. It, it's it, it's postseason time. What more could you have? Postseason time, the leaves are changing. It's starting to get cold at night, hot during the days. It's th- This is fall in its purest form. Fall sports and postseason. The weather changing. We're coming up towards Halloween. Oh, man, I, I'm just so amped up. I, I'm ready to roll. Let's do this thing. With it, in fact, being playoffs time, I think it uh, warrants uh, warrants this. Playoffs? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Are you proud of that? Eh, I think it's okay. I was kind of hoping you would just pull the actual audio bit <laughs> of that one because that to your credit actually not a bad Jim Moore impression because he actually does hit that level of like pitch and tone as he's saying it which makes it so much funnier like it, if you had a highlight of him and then followed by Herm Edwards you play to win the game <laughs> and just completely close it out with Dennis Green whatever that press conference was. They are who we Arizona. thought they were. And we let them <laughs> off the hook. Oh, man. The, the, those three press conferences will live rent-free in my head for all time. They are just, they're gold. They're absolute gold. Can't play with him. Can't coach with him. Can't do it. Oh, God, how did I forget Mike Singletary's? <laughs> God, how could you forget Mike Singletary's? Hey, do, you, do you remember the collective in Sandy when everyone thought like he was just going to be the next great head coach? Like it was, it, it I just remember that so vividly. It, it's kind of like Josh McDaniels with the Raiders nowadays. Like, oh, probably not, but let's find out. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, I do remember he was, uh, he was seemingly anointed as someone who was, you know, going to be one of the up and comer next great coaches. And he, uh, he flamed out pretty quickly. 
Well, and to his credit, I mean, let, well, we will say this. Very good coordinator for several years. Yes. He was a very good coordinator. I, I, he kind of reminds me of like a Jim Schwartz kind of thing. Great coordinator. Don't have him at the top of the marquee kind of situation. It's, but yeah. Oh man, that they can't coach him. Can't trust him. And he was talking about Vernon Davis, a guy who's probably going to the hall of fame. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Duh. Oh, good times. Shame we don't get those kind of press conferences at the high school level, but eh, anyway, postseason football and volleyball, man. That's all you can ask for. Oh, that's exactly right. On this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto, we'll talk with Kevin Harris from meet at midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing the Buckeyes able to beat Penn State last week. They'll take on Wisconsin this week. We'll also talk with Finley High School's head football coach, Stefan Adams. The Trojans secure a part of the NLL League title last week, beating Northview to end their regular season. They open up the postseason on Friday when they host Olin Tangy Liberty. We might not be at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings day. Tuesday, frickin' chicken wings day. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Pick up from the carryout window, dine in, or get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app. Find them online at Frickers. Dot com and also don't miss our coverage of high school football coming your way on Friday and we will have coverage starting at six o'clock with the NWO Orthopedics Psych Up Show from the Fricker Studios. Bart Wilson, Trayvon Hastings will preview all the games for week eleven of high school football for the first round of the postseason. On Classic Hits, we'll have coverage of Tiffin Calvert. They'll play host to Crestview. I'm allowing Matt Common and Tom Grind to have that action over on Classic Hits. And then on WFOB, we'll have coverage of Hopewell Loudon as they open up their postseason. They take on Montpelier. Jimmy Nixon and I will have that one for you from Bascom on Friday as we'll swap things and I will be over on WFOB. And then stay tuned in following the games for the NWO Orthopedics scoreboard show from the Fricker Studios. Barton Trayvon will recap all the action for week 11 of the high school football postseason. You can hear that on Friday. Once the games have wrapped up, and Matt, as you also alluded to, we'll have coverage of high school volleyball coming your way tomorrow. The Division Four District Finals, Calvert taking on Lakota. Calvert looking to clinch their sixth consecutive district title. First serve will be right around 6 o'clock. You can join Matt and I for our coverage of high school volleyball on Classic Hits 96.7. That'll be tomorrow night. And once again, Matt, we're uh, very much looking forward to you know the football. We're looking forward to the volleyball. Like you said, with the postseason, we have it all right in front of us now. It's just a matter of letting things happen as they will. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the broadcasting side of things, we're also now at the uh, winning to keep going, losing you get to go home situation. <laughs> also, it's where we are. Postseason action should be, uh, I, I think, should be a very entertaining postseason across the board. And in regards to Calvert versus Lakota tomorrow night, I mean that that should be a good game. I mean, we saw Lakota. Uh, f- fight a bit of a nail biter against Danbury after that Calvert game. So energy wise, what they're going to have left in the tank going into Thursday is going to be definitely one of the talking points going into that game. But yeah, that, that should be a fun one. It's, it's all right there. It's all there for the taking. It's just a matter of which teams are going to take it. With that was up sign for a quick timeout. We come back. We'll talk with Kevin Harris from me at midfield off announcing and the comeback here on the NWO orthopedics sports auto from the Fricker studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services. 
we offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if Auto Owners make sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you until 7.30. The Ohio State Buckeyes get the win against Penn State in a top 10 matchup last weekend. This Saturday, they take on Wisconsin. You can, of course, hear Buckeye football all season long on WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris, writer from Meet Up Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing here in the Frickers Zoom room. And Kevin, the Buckeyes get the win over Penn State over the weekend. What were some of your big uh, takeaways from last week's game? Yeah, I mean, it was a honestly a dominant performance. Um, I think, if if anything, I we can talk about specifics later. Um, I'm sure we'll get into like the the running game and stuff like that because I don't think the running game was necessarily very good, um, but. I mean, at the end of the day, I think Ohio State performed better across the board than Penn State did, even though I think Ohio State left a lot of points on the board, too, with some dropped passes, some uh, simple mistakes, um, you know, obviously that fourth down stop. Um, th- there, were, there were several things that didn't go exactly right for Ohio State, but I still think they largely outperformed Penn State on both sides of the ball. And it was, um, I mean, across the board, a pretty dominant showing from Ohio state. I think uh, it was the clear takeaway from that game was that Ohio state was the better team on um, honestly, both sides of the ball. Oh, with them in particular. I mean, obviously they were the better team. They scored more points and they gave up less points. That's usually an indicator That's of works, the better yeah. team on both sides. But what, were you surprised at the low scoring nature of it? I, I know Penn state's offense, you were kind of expecting It seemed like you were kind of expecting that result offensively from them, but from a defensive perspective, is it that Penn State may actually be the real deal, or was this just a really good matchup against Ohio State? I mean, Penn State's defense is awesome. I expected this to be a really low-scoring game. Um, Penn State's defense is really, really, really good, and I think that is, um, with all due respect to Michigan, I think that's the best defense that Ohio State's going to face this year. and so I like you can't take anything away from that. I I thought Penn State struggled a little more in the secondary than I expected them to. And I think part of that is because since they are so talented, they decided to just like man up a few times. Um, and by a few times, I mean the entire game um, with with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and I mean, they just didn't do a whole lot to take him out of the game. They played him in single coverage uh, with Kalen King a lot of the game and Kalen King got cooked the entire game. So I I, like there were just some things that I felt like they could have just adjusted schematically. But in terms of personnel, like I think this is the best defense that Ohio State's going to play all year. Um, I think the offense was worse than I expected. Penn State's offense was worse than I expected. And I didn't really have high hopes for Penn State's offense. I mean, I 
Drew Aller, I, I before the season started, I thought this offense was going to be really good. Um, Drew Aller is obviously a five-star quarterback out of Medina, Ohio. Medina, sorry, I pronounced that wrong. I was going to say, that's um, fine. What'd you say? I was going to say, that's a fine. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, people aren't going to be happy about that. But um, he, uh, so obviously he's an Ohio kid. Um, if things worked out differently with Quinn Ewers and stuff like that, I think Ohio State would have recruited him. Um, it just didn't really happen. They ended up with Devin Brown instead. But I mean, this is a five-star guy, um, highest rated quarterback in Ohio in Ohio in a long time. And then they had Nick Singleton, who was coming back, who was like a, a home run hitting sort of running back. Um, you know, I really thought this offense was going to be really good. And it just has not been this year. It's been, they, they kind of run a, a type of offense, like a style of offense where they don't hit big plays, but they get like chunks of yardage. And between that and the defense, they're able to kind of play the field position game and play the long game. And they end up racking up a ton of points. Like this was the first game where Penn state didn't score 30 points in the game. Um, but the problem is that when you run an offense that doesn't get big plays, doesn't get chunk plays, um, they had one play of over 20 yards in the entire game against Ohio state. They rank, I think at this point, dead last in plays of uh, 20 plus yards this season. When you play a style of offense like that, the game can get out of control pretty quickly if you're not on schedule on offense. If you're not getting those, you know, five-yard runs and moving the sticks, um, that's not good news, especially when your defense is not uh, shutting down an opposing offense the way that it's typically used to. So I think this was just a matter of Penn State is a very, very, very good football team, but it was just not built to play a team that is at least equal or maybe more talented on both sides of the ball uh, as Ohio state was. They, they tried to play their game and Ohio state was more than willing to play their game. And it just did not work well for them. Along with Kevin Harris, Ryan from me at midfield, along with the comeback and off announcing here on the NWO orthopedics sports huddle from the Fricker studios. You, you mentioned, you know, kind of the Penn state offensive philosophy and not going, you know, completely downfield all that often. And it reminds me that I, it was within the last week or two, uh, there was uh, a conference uh, with uh, James Franklin where a reporter basically asked him, you know, why don't you just, you know, have a play or two a game, even maybe more than that, where you just kind of throw it up and, you know, hope you can get, you know, like we've said, a chunk of yardage out of that. And the way James Franklin responded to that you would have thought like someone was personally offending him was like all up in their personal space. Just the tone with which he responded to that made it sound like he was genuinely unsure of how to answer that question because of how much it is against what the Penn state offensive philosophy is. And you also then say, Hey, they're not maybe built to play a team like Ohio state. Is it Penn State specifically trying to build their team to beat Ohio State and Michigan? That should be a concern a little bit. Yeah, so like the offense is pretty weird to me. I I don't know how much of this offense is like maybe Drew Aller is just worse than I thought he was. I I mean, he played a horrific game on Saturday, like straight up. Like he I mean, he even said that after the game, like I sucked. Like it was it was a horrible game. Um so I don't know how much of it is limitations on Drew Aller. Their receivers also are not good. And I think everybody knew that coming into this season. That was like their severe limitation on offense. So like their passing game is just not set up for success. So like, I understand like, like hypothetically, it sounds good. Like, Hey, let's just take some shots. And it's like, okay, but like, 
who do you want throwing it and who are you, who's going to catch it? You know, like on some level, like if you know what the result's going to be, there's no point in like trying, I guess. And that's kind of like where James Franklin's probably at. Like it, it, it doesn't really make sense to throw the ball down the field when you don't think that you have no reason to believe that you can do that. So um, I think that's kind of the problem that Penn state has at least this season. I thought, I, I thought that Drew Aller was going to be the type of quarterback that would make his receivers better. And that just does not seem to be the case whatsoever, at least against Ohio state and really big 10 opponents. He's really good in the, against lesser opponents, but um, and against defenses that matter, that just hasn't been the case. But I, I mean, in terms of your other question, like shouldn't Penn state be building a program that is like capable of competing with Ohio state and Michigan. And like the answer is absolutely yes. But I think that's also easier said than done. Right. I, I have joked for a long time that like Penn state, shouldn't scare Ohio state because the way James Franklin structures and runs his program and builds his team is just almost exactly like Ohio state, but just worse. And so like, if, if James Franklin's model of how he like builds his team, essentially um, the way that he recruits, um, you know, a a lot of times like the style that he manages his game and um how they approach how Penn state ends up winning games and stuff like that. Like it's very similar to Ohio state and it really reminds me of uh, like the urban Meyer years at Ohio state. Um, but like when you do that in Ohio state's doing it, but better, I don't know that you can really like ever chase Ohio state, you know, like I, I think that's why Michigan stands out is that Michigan has like their program is completely different than the way Ohio state builds their program. Like Michigan emphasizes development they emphasize, um, you know, like a, a completely different offensive approach. Um, they're not recruiting the same players in a lot of ways that Ohio State is recruiting. Um, their scheme is different on both sides of the ball. Uh, and so, like, I think that kind of helps Michigan where they can compete with Ohio State because they're playing different games. And so, like, um, when both of those teams get on the field, like, it's it's a matchup of different things and one is not inherently better or worse than the other one whereas like with penn state they're going after the same players ohio state usually gets them um i I don't know it's it's just i I don't think james franklin has like built himself for success against um ohio state in particular but clearly not michigan either so i don't know we i think we had this conversation last week it's like how how long is james franklin going to stay at penn state and I think the truth is that like now that you're going to a 12 team playoff, I think that model is perfectly fine because the way that Penn state has existed, um, you know, maybe they're going to be among those top 12 teams in college football. They sure have been the past, you know, as long as Franklin's been there, I don't really remember how long he's been there, like 10 years. It's been a long time, but as long as James Franklin's been there, um, they've been, you know, consistently among those like top 12 teams in in the country. They just haven't been among the top four. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see with the big 10 changes, uh, you know, how is he going to compete against Washington or Oregon or USC? Like there's a good chance that like, if those teams, if you see those teams as a tier below Ohio state and Michigan consistently, like James Franklin might be built to, you know, compete against those teams and still be among one of the top 12 teams in college football. So I, I, I hesitate to say that it's like a huge problem for Penn state that James Franklin has not really gotten over the hump or competed with Ohio state and Michigan, because like, I think going forward, he's not really going to have to, to have national success. Well, first, let me start by saying as a God fearing Clevelander, 
the fine is double for calling it Medina instead of Medina. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that just I, to get that out of the way now. I've been silently fuming ever since. I'm kidding. That's no, not a big deal <laughs> whatsoever. I, I, truth be told, I live three towns away from it, and I called it Medina more than once <laughs> in time as well. So you you mentioned how bad you felt the Penn State offense was. I, I'm I'm going to flip the script here for a moment. Is it possible as well that Ohio State's defense might actually be figuring it out and might have just actually had a really good game against Penn State? Is, is I mean, could that also be the case? I mean, it seems like this Ohio State defense, they have some names, but maybe it's not the star power, star power that we've seen in years past, but that they, they seem to get the job done when they need to. Oh, 100%. I think this is the best defense that Ohio State has had, at least since 2019. Um, I think this is a team that can legitimately just lean on this on this defense. And I think that the difference is um, the way this Ohio State defense plays. It was kind of it was very funny uh, with Penn State playing Ohio State because Ohio State, the way that Ohio State's defense functions is a team that does not give up chunk plays. So it's it's the worst it's the worst offense. It's the least explosive offense in the, in college football um, against one of the best big play defenses in college football. Like Ohio state's defense just does not give up big plays. I think they rank like sixth in the country in um, plays of 20 yards or more this season and allowing plays of 20 yards or more this season. So like it is a, it is a very much, I, I hesitate to even say it's bend, but not break it doesn't really bend that much either it's not like they're giving up a ton of points and like um you know allowing teams to march down the field at will or whatever like it's just a team that it they're it's not the 2019 team where you've got like chase young or um really those those pass rushers or linebackers that are going to fly into the backfield and create like chaos plays you don't really have a guy like malik hooker who's you know in the backfield or in the uh, defensive backfield uh picking off passes and creating all sorts of like um you know defensive scores or whatever um it it's it's a very solid defense that gets the job done um tackles guys in space uh doesn't allow big plays keeps everything in front of them and really just suffocates opposing offenses you know like at some point like an offense when it's playing a defense something has to give and ohio state's defense so far this season just simply has never given and that's like that's really hard for an offense to create something when every play you're doing is not really working and you can't really build on anything like if if you cannot expose something or have consistent success with one play or um you know or one player necessarily it's really hard to have an offensive identity and to build anything consistent on offense because you have nothing to counter off of like it's it's one of those things where like looking at this defense, watching this defense play, you might not think that this is like a world-class defense because it's not getting those sacks. It's not getting those like highlight plays. But if you just look at the numbers, they just wear teams down. They take control of games and they don't let teams score. Like I, I think it's it's an underrated quality of a defense this or these days that they just keep the opponent off the scoreboard. And that's been the truth. Like, they there's no denying they haven't controlled the line of scrimmage in most games they haven't lived in the backfield they haven't created a ton of sacks they haven't created a ton of turnovers but they have just kept opponents off the scoreboard and 
at the end of the day, like that's the most important job for a defense. Talk with Kevin Harris, writer for me at midfield along with the comeback and off announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. You mentioned off the top, you know, the running game struggling a little bit. And to go along with that, Devin Brown, the backup quarterback, now will be out for a little bit of time with an injury. What do you make now of what the running game will, you know, continue to kind of evolve into? And do we see one of the additional backup quarterback step into that role? Or do we just kind of see some other change uh, built off of that because of the injury? Well, I mean, to be clear, Ohio State is not going to need, I, with all due respect to Wisconsin, um, Ohio State is not going to need much help to win really any of their games before leading up to Michigan. So I don't think it's like a huge deal um, that maybe they can't do what they were doing with Devin Brown in the future. Um, I don't know. The the run game, I, I think it's just getting to the point where it is what it is at this point. Like, I think looking at the, looking at the numbers here, I was surprised at how bad the run game numbers were because it seemed like, you know, Mayan Williams was getting some chunk yardage plays. Uh, Chip Trey and it seemed like he had a couple carries or whatever. Um, but if you look at the numbers adjusted, including sack numbers, because there were two sacks, it looks like for Kyle McCord, the rushing totals is 1.9 yards per carry, which is like just beyond horrific. And if you adjust for sacks, I think it's 2.3 yards per carry which is also just beyond horrific so like it was clearly good enough like Ohio State still won the game um, I think they were able to convert like a couple short yarded situations um, it wasn't completely useless but like you never want 41 carries for 79 yards that wasn't like ideal um, luckily the Ohio State like passing game was far better than I expected it to be um, given you know, Penn State's pass rush and stuff like that. But I, it's getting to the point where it's like, maybe Ohio State just can't run the ball this season. You know, like I, it, that that could just be like the fact that they have to deal with. Um, I, I, I was very, very perplexed that Dallin Hayden did not play at all this game. Um, Ryan Day, like mentioned offhand, like he, Dallin Hayden was allegedly available. R- Ryan Day mentioned offhand that he hopes that Dallin Hayden will be back on the field against Wisconsin, which was a very bizarre thing to say because by all accounts, like it seemed like the only reason Dallin Hayden wasn't on the field against uh, Penn State was because Ryan Day chose for him to not be on the field. Like the the whole running back rotation is just beyond bizarre to me. I don't know how Mayan Williams hasn't really played this season or like been in the consistent running back rotation at the top this season and suddenly has 24 carries in this game. Like everything about this has been very bizarre. Um, I don't really know what to make of the running back situation. I just know that like the numbers and what you're actually seeing, it's not good. Like it, it, Ohio state just cannot run the ball and whatever they've been doing with their shuffle. um, I, I thought it looked better against Purdue, but I did say like Purdue is a horrific run defense. So, um, I don't know. It was, it was very bizarre. I think the most bizarre thing is that like, it's pretty clear and it's been clear in like the two games when he's had to play that the running offense works better and functions better with Dallin Hayden at running back. And he just like, can't get on the field. They're just refusing to let him be on the field. I know that they're saying they want him to be 
Um, they want to redshirt him this year, and that means that he can only play four total games. But like, I on some level, you just gotta you gotta win these games. So I don't know. Maybe they're saving him for like Michigan and a playoff run or something like that. But it's very weird to me, and the the results have been very bad. Well, re- results may have been rough in the running game, and I, I know we could go on and on about that. But the, the flip side of that is the passing game finally seems to be finding some life, which is a terrifying sentence to say, considering, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is part of that receiving core. Obviously had a big game for himself, but the the player I want to mention, because I know you've mentioned him in the past, is, hey, pay attention once this kid gets to the le- this level, is uh, Carnell Tate. And I just want your thoughts on what you saw from him, a little bit of limited action, but by the same time, it it, it seemed like he had his I've arrived game against Penn State as well. Yeah, and I think like the important thing to note is um, if you are just like, like Colonel Tate is a true freshman, like that's 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 the simplest, you know, um, simplest thing I can say. And if you put what he's doing in context of what, all of these other receivers have done when they were true freshmen. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't really see the field until uh, the Rose Bowl um, when Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were out. Garrett Wilson really didn't see significant minutes until later in the season, his true freshman season. Um, obviously, he made a big play against Clemson that year. Um, Chris Olave, he didn't really have his coming out party until and really see significant snaps until uh the michigan game late in the season so like what i'm saying is that carnell tate is a true freshman is far ahead of schedule if you are willing to put him out is essentially the third starting receiver uh against the number seven team in the country like to be clear the reason he played is because Emeka abuka was hurt like it's not like he just like vaulted up the depth chart or anything like that but um he played against one of the top defenses in college football uh, in a huge game for Ohio state. And he made some plays, you know, I think he had three catches for, I'll look it up three catches for 21 yards. Like uh, he, he, you know, there were, he made a few plays. They um, asked a lot of him. They even like, they were drawing up plays for him. There was a, uh, a fade route that was to him at the goal line. Um, Marvin Harrison jr. Was wide open on that play. And it would have been a touchdown if they didn't throw the fade route, but the point is that they they trusted the true freshman enough to draw up a specific play for him to go get a touchdown against Penn State. So it is very clear the trust they have for him. It's very clear kind of the trajectory of his career. Um, and I, I mean, I think he's going to be very, very good. I've said this on the air several times. Um, is As good as this Ohio State wide receivers room is right now with Marvin Harrison Jr. leading the way, I sincerely do not think this is as good as it's going to get because when... Carnell Tate, Brandon Innes, and Jeremiah Smith are all in the same wide receivers room together. I think that's as good as it could possibly get. So, um, yeah, I mean, as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. played this week, I think the future is still very, very bright at Ohio State, even when he's playing on Sundays instead. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB talking with Kevin Harris, right from me at midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing as much as I would want to talk about the Wisconsin game. We, we got to talk about what's going on in Michigan, because I think that's more important and more overarching than just the game this week, because 
where where there's smoke, there's fires, you know, one of the old adages. And uh, that seems to be the case with what's going on at Michigan. So uh, I know you've been, you know, in on this basically since uh, since things started to break. What can you tell us for those that maybe don't know about everything that's going on currently at Michigan? Yeah, so I guess the um, the general the general gist is that Michigan is currently facing an NCAA investigation for allegations of sign stealing and allegations related to sign stealing. And we'll get to that in a second. The first most important thing to note is that sign stealing in itself is not illegal. I think people might remember back to uh, the 2020 game against Clemson when Brent Venables, uh, the defensive coordinator at Clemson at the time, now he's the head coach at Oklahoma, he and his defense was notorious for stealing signs, like notorious for it. Um, They were very good at it. Um, The difference is that they were good at it in game they would break the signals in game and they had a whole um i mean they, they they were very good at breaking them there was no indication from really anybody that they were doing anything wrong um they were just stealing signals which is not illegal now where it seems that michigan has violated ncaa rules is that um they have been accused and there seems to be significant evidence that they are sending people to opponent future opponents games and having them observe and or record the sideline so that they can have essentially the signals um, that they can break beforehand. Uh, And that is a violation of NCAA rules because the NCAA currently prohibits in-person scouting. So it's illegal for a member of a team to go and um, observe a game for any reason. Um, And it's especially illegal for them to record a sideline and break the codes at a game. So like that is kind of the issue at hand here. Um, I, I know there's a little like there's a few caveats here. Uh, I know Michigan fans will like to say like, well, the rule is vague. And so um, it's not clear. I, I forgot to mention the evidence is that there is this there is this low level Michigan staffer uh, by the name of Connor Stallions, who has been accused of being essentially the mastermind behind this whole operation. Um, you know, apparently like a a report from Bruce Feldman kind of broke it down is like everybody within the staff knows that like that is his one job is to break signals. There have been videos that have shown him holding um, basically laminated play sheets that uh, my good friend Mark Givler has confirmed, uh, at least the ones that we saw from the Ohio State game, were Ohio State's signals, um, the hand signals that Ohio State uses on the sideline. He basically had them broken and was standing next to the defensive and offensive coordinators um, kind of relaying what the plays were going to be based on what he observed. Like they kind of had this down to a science. Um, and again, like that in itself is not illegal. It's just a matter of how they obtained this information. So um, this Connor Stallions guy, uh, he they have found that he purchased tickets to more than 30 games of future Michigan opponents Um over the past three years. So dating back to 2021 and um, they 
are the NCAA was expected to receive, uh, according to an article by Pete Thamel um, of ESPN, they were expected to receive video evidence that showed somebody in the seats purchased by um, Connor Stallions holding up a cell phone and recording what appears to be the opponent's sideline the entire game. And so the caveat here is you don't know for sure if the person in that seat is a Michigan staffer is paid by the university. It's just going to come down to, does that matter? Um, Does it matter if that person isn't explicitly related to Michigan? Because Stallions was not at the games. He was on the Michigan sideline. He obviously was not observing those games. So it had to have been somebody else. And there's just kind of a, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. And the rules aren't 100% clear. Um, it's kind of one of those things where it seems very clear that Michigan did something wrong, but it's not clear um, what the NCAA is going to do about it, if anything, uh, or you know what can be done about it. It's, it's just a very messy situation. Uh, so I'll, I'll ask my Joe question first. Do you think J.J. McCarthy is going to be humbly faking emotion and demanding that the NCAA free Connor Stallions then like he did earlier this year with Jim Harbaugh. I just want my coach back. We can certainly but, hope so. I mean, one, one can only hope that it, the, the acting that is JJ McCarthy will continue, but on a more serious note with this, I, I understand it's unprecedented, but by the same token, I mean, it get, it's going to get to a point where the NCAA has to act, right? I mean, just from an Ohio state perspective, if a coach can be banned from coaching over covering up selling of tat for tattoos and sports memorabilia, <coughs> excuse me, that th- this gosh. seems exponentially more serious than that. It seems exponentially more serious than some of the other coaching scandals that we've seen in recent years that haven't have involved, you know, horrific domestic crimes or things of that nature as part of it or set her just disgusting sexual harassment or sexual assault kind of thing that this seems like this is the kind of stuff that should take down programs yet like you said it it seems like we don't have a genuine answer as to how it's going to shake out because of being unprecedented Do, do you see it ending with maybe like the end of Jim Harbaugh in Michigan or maybe some of the our staff members or a vacate a vacating of wins. Like if you were to crystal ball it, where do you see this thing going? So I just talking to, I, I have a bunch of like very plugged in Michigan fan friends or Michigan writers who have covered the team for a long time. Um, I was under the impression before this year started that this was going to be Jim, Jim Harbaugh's last season at Michigan. That's not like there's no like hard reporting there. There's no like, um, you know, it, it, it was more just like a general vibe of the way that things were going. The general like impression among like the kind of insider culture at Michigan was that Jim Harbaugh like was going to go to the NFL. And so um, and obviously like that has been a rumor forever and it hasn't happened. So like you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. But that was just the general thought. And this is from Michigan fans and Michigan writers, not me. Like that was, that was what they were thinking. And so given that and given like the way this investigation shaking out, I wouldn't be shocked if this is Jim Harbaugh's last season at Michigan 
especially because I already wouldn't have been shocked if it was Jim Harbaugh's last season at Michigan. So um, regardless, I, I think the thing with an NCAA investigation is that sometimes they take a very long time. So like, I don't know if they're going to be able to act swiftly here uh, for it to functionally matter um, like this season, you know, like, I mean, we're talking, we got like a month and a half, like six weeks, maybe until the college football playoff field is decided. Uh, I, I knowing what I know about NCAA investigations, I'm not optimistic that they're going to wrap up an NCAA investigation in six weeks. So like, I'm not sure we're going to have a real clear like answer here one way or another. Um, I will say like, this situation is completely unprecedented. I know like I've seen some Michigan people trying to find like comparative situations. Uh, last year, the NCAA actually uh, considered um, banning or not banning, lifting the ban on in-person scouting because they basically ruled that it offers a minimal competitive advantage for um, where they, they determined like the, the suggestion was like it, I, it offers a minimal competitive competitive advantage um, for based on how many resources it would take to police it. Uh, and the, the idea is that like, since teams get, send film and there's so much digital information available anyway, um, scouting in person, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do that much. But the problem is that I don't think the NCAA was considering that that in-person scouting could have included sending someone to the sideline and recording entire sidelines and stealing signals. Like, I don't think the NCAA included, or like was considering that when they said that um, they felt that it offered a minimal competitive advantage. Like, I don't think there is, well, I know there's nothing stopping the NCAA from looking at this situation and saying, Hey, it's very clear that Michigan broke the rules here. And it's very clear that they gained a substantial competitive advantage for doing this. Um, and punishing them accordingly. Like that seems completely within like the parameters here. Um, you know, we've, we've just never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything to this scale. Um, it, it just like, this has not happened in college football, or at least has been exposed in college football like this. So projecting what you think the punishment is going to be is nearly impossible. Um, I, I think the one thing that I would look out for is, uh, even though the NCAA investigation might take a long time, there's a chance that the Big Ten um, can kind of jump in and act. Because from my understanding, the um, from my understanding, the whole thing with um, the the whole thing with the Big Ten is that their rules are like slightly different. Um, that I hesitate to say it's a it's a it's a higher standard in the Big Ten but the big 10 has like vaguer rules for things they can punish people for and they can act before the NCAA can act. So there is a chance that the big 10 just kind of sees the way that all of this evidence is kind of arriving and knows that this is going to take, you know, 20 plus year, 20 plus years, um, like 20 months or something like that. Like some of these investigations take a long, long time and it would just get to the point where the only move would be to vacate wins. I could see potentially the big 10 moving in and preemptively making a, a uh, declaration or punishing Michigan in some way, um, maybe keeping them out of the big 10 championship game or something like that. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen because also like if they did that, it would mean, you know, essentially hampering who might the team that might have the best chance to win the national title from the conference. Um, 
when maybe they did nothing wrong. So it's that's but that's the only way I can see this wrapping up quickly is if the Big Ten gets involved. Almost out of time here. So let's take a quick look at some of the games coming up this weekend. You got Oklahoma, Kansas, Georgia, Florida, BYU, Texas, Oregon, Utah, Duke, Louisville, along with Tennessee, Kentucky, and Colorado, UCLA. Some of the bigger games this coming weekend. What are uh, what are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, Oklahoma, Kansas will be fun. I think Kansas is, uh, you know, a, a little better of a football team than most people give them credit for. I think across the board, they have a really good combination of uh, of offense and defense. And I think that's going to be a pretty tough game for Oklahoma. Um, you know, Oregon, Utah, Utah's got an incredible defense, like a legit incredible defense. Their offense is not good. Um, and it's not going to be good this year because they don't have a quarterback. Cam rising is out for the season. Um, but Utah is a team that is not a college football playoff contender, but they can just like ruin all of these teams chances at a college football playoff. Like if Oregon loses this game, like their playoff hopes are over. Um, so this is a really big game. Um, and I think Utah has one of the best defenses in the country. Um, so I think that's maybe the biggest one for me. Um, I, I mean, it's insane that like we're at a point where we can just kind of gloss over Ohio state versus Wisconsin, but, um, it is what it is. I don't think Wisconsin has been terribly good this season by any means. Um, I, they don't have really any semblance of an offense. Their defense is fine. Um, Braylon Allen's an awesome running back, but uh, I think Ohio State should win this game fairly easily. Um, but I mean, that's one of the more high-profile matchups of the week. So, um, yeah, I guess we got Duke Louisville too. That that's a game where it doesn't really have like playoff implications. Neither of those teams is going to make the playoff, but um, that's going to be a really good, really good game for anybody who wants to just like watch a really good college football game. This has been me at Midfield Rider along with the comeback and awful announcings, Kevin Harris. Kevin, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. We'll catch up next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Finley High School's head football coach, Stefan Adams. You're on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Due to substantial growth at Morgan Advanced Materials, we're hiring and want you to join our team. If you're looking for a competitive starting wage, Morgan Advanced Materials has production operator positions starting at $19.76 an hour with the potential of up to $23.91 an hour. Join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Fostoria. Call us at 419-360-9751 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria. Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you until 7.30. The Finley Trojans got a win last week, taking down Northview to claim a piece of the NLL Buckeye Division title. They now go into the postseason. They'll take on a team from a little further south when they take on Olin Tangi Liberty. We're now joined by Finley High School's head football coach Stefan Adams here in the Frickers Zoom Room. And coach, a big win for you guys against Northview. What were some of the uh, big takeaways from your win last week? Yeah, it was just a great night. Um, you know, our kids uh, have stuck to the motto of 
you know, one, playing fast and, you know, getting early stops and scoring often. And also at the same time, too, we had a little blunder early on as well. Uh, the ball just, Ryan caught the, the ball in the wrong spot and arrow mailed the ball and got intercepted. But they responded as well as they have all year long when when adversity or when when things arrive. So really proud of our group. It was kind of our capping off our senior night. Got a chance to honor um, Desmond Bailey, who was hurt in our second scrimmage of the year. Um, he got out there in a boot and a, and a, and a Jordan Nike, like a little Jordan shoe, and got out there for a snap. So overall, it was just a positive experience and a positive uh, night for our kids. Uh, Coach, I, I think a positive night's an understatement. I mean, if I'm reading the score correctly, 48 to nothing. I, I mean, yeah. You, you... You guys blanked Northview on that one. <laughs> Defensively, I, I mean, things clearly had to go right if you had a shutout. But what were some things in particular that really stood out to you from that game? I think just our, our ability to to be locked in. Um, you know, I think what, what we talked about during the week was not allowing records to be a distraction. You know, uh, everybody puts their, their football equipment on the same way. Everybody uh, will come to give us our best. And um, – just not letting those things be a distraction and just playing to a standard. So I think, you know, you can consider that. I think of, uh, you know, Luke Wireout, who's played phenomenal for us all year long and, you know, him getting a big interception, taking it back to the house. Um, think about guys stepping up like a kid like Jackson Redmond, uh, who's been, you know, a, a program guy. When I mean a program guy, a guy that just does everything right, you know, and maybe not be a starter, but, you know, him having an opportunity to catch a touchdown pass, in a game, you know, to see that was super exciting. And uh, just little things like that, the, that, that really stand out or, or just mainly a lot of our program expectations were just, uh, you know, at full display on Friday night. Talking with Finley High School's head football coach, Stephen Adams here on the Frickers and the, from the Frickers studios on the NWO orthopedics sports huddle. And you, uh, you, you brought up something that I'll, I'll, I'll have you lead me down a slightly different path. Actually not talking about the game. You said everybody puts on their pads the same way, which I won't disagree with flat out, but I remember, and this, you know, dates Matt and myself a little bit, but uh, when, I, when I was playing, they were finally starting to have, you know, the different girdles where you have, you know, the thigh pads and the hip pads and the things of that nature. Does now everybody have those rather than like just most of the team? Is there some sort of advancement that I missed on because I stopped playing? What can you uh, shed on the actual equipment part of, uh, of football in that regard? Yeah, you definitely did go down a different path there. But yeah, no, I would say today's so different from when I, when I played and I think every kid now, like when it comes to like equipment handout, remember you used to hand out the thigh pad, yep. you know, to hand out the hip pad, the butt pad. Um, those all come basically in girdles now. So really kids don't even end up, you know, that's not something that we even pass out. Like, so we always have obviously extra just in case anybody needs some. But I think as far as a program goes, I think I've handed out maybe one girdle in true about five, six, six, five, five, six years. Um, yeah, those are the standard now. Those are the standard things that like people even get and kids get. So uh, you have the two different options. You have the option that can come with uh, the girdle that comes with the thigh, the thigh, the hip, and the butt pad naturally. And then there's actually some other ones too that come with the knee pad with everything in it. So all you got to do is put your pants over. So it is completely, I guess it is different. You know, So putting them on the same way, yes, it's the same way to, to that's applicable to now for our kids. I mean, I really don't know necessarily how we got down this rabbit hole. That was that was that was okay. That's a good. I, nice. I was saying. I mean, since we're here, I don't know. Even back in the day, I was always one of the ones where that you you know you got handed the uh, 
team issued girdle and it's like yes. that's nice i'm gonna go to dick sporting goods now and buy something else <laughs> you know here, here's the funny thing that maybe not everybody wants to hear but you're gonna hear it anyway is i remember like you know at the time being in a position where you're like all right like how do i how do i make this work right like i felt like the, the pants i had and the stuff we had back in the day was so restricting and so tight and so like just not there's no flex there's no flex in the gear i used to literally can, can make a concoction that taped everything together and it really worked and it was the ghettoest thing i probably could have done but it was as, i was as free as i possibly could be so uh i'd like to say i was ahead of the game if you know what i mean I said I was going to go down a different path. I will not lead you completely astray, even though it is a <laughs> slightly different path than uh, than what we normally go down here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Let's transition back to the game. Talk a little bit more about Ryan Montgomery. Like you said, another great game. Over 230 yards, three incompletions, technically just two if you want to be pedantic with uh, with the interception, but all in all, another r really good game from him. What can you say from uh, what you saw from him and the offense as a whole? Yeah, just I think you know playing fast and and being able to convert, uh, getting the ball to our playmakers and letting them make plays. I think what you're seeing with our offense that's really unique and really cool is I think that's very easy and understandably so. Uh, you know, obviously the attention that comes with with Ryan being Ryan, but really we're not asking him to do anything. You know, there, there have been moments where we've needed him to essentially take over, right? But then for the most part, he's done a, a phenomenal job. Uh, in my personal opinion, of of just letting the game come to you, uh, taking what he's taking what the defense gives him, uh, you know, there's there are they're going to be within the scope of it all. They're going to be about some passes, of course, that you're like, man, that's only a pass that he can make. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's just getting the ball to our playmakers, let let them make do what they got to do after they catch the pass. And our guys have done a great job with you know having good contact balance and breaking tackles. So I think you're just being seeing the ball being spread around, and you're seeing an offense where anybody can go off at any night. It really has seemed to be the case for you guys throughout the season. That really is a, you know, whoever happens to be the hot hand that particular evening. Yep. Where you guys are going to go with it. And it, it did seem to be a fairly balanced attack this past weekend against Northview. It, did that just, was that more defense just kind of provided that for you? Or really was it a matter of just, honestly, just call it as is. You guys were heavily favored going into that one, and it kind of showed very early and often in that matchup, and just what were it more mismatches than anything else. Yeah, you know our defense has done a phenomenal job all year long. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, and I know I got some stats somewhere around here where I've been very happy with our guys. I mean they've they're looking at I think about thirteen point four points a game. Um, they've just been dominant uh, throughout the course of the season and then through our division play as well too. And uh, I think we're just all playing off of each other. You know, one side gets a stop, the next side gets up and makes them make something happen. I think we're just playing a really well team game. Our special teams have tightened up in certain areas and have continued to produce there as well, too. So I just think we're feeding off each other in all three phases. All defense has done a good job of getting stops and they've played well all year long. Offense uh, scoring and scoring fast and often. And then our special teams units, you know, no penalties and being able to kind of have some splash plays in there to help. Uh, create momentum on for, for either side right so uh, I just think we're playing really well all around football right now 
Talking with Finley High School's head football coach, Stefan Adams, on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. We talked about it last week, but you were, in fact, able to secure a portion of the league title crown, something Finley had not done since 2011. Now that you have the piece of the league title now in hand, so to speak, what, in fact, can you say about that and what it kind of means to the program and what you've done so far now in your third year? I think it just validates a lot of the work that we did in the offseason, a lot of uh, the a lot of the values and a lot of the teachings that we've done for the last two years. I think it, it kind of goes to show for me that uh, even in my my time that if you work a process, you know, at some point in time, if you do it right, you're going to get results. And, you know, sometimes those results look very different for, from program to program. But I feel confident that we've had the right pieces right here in our own room. We just needed to work the process of the offseason, you know, how to get better, how to show up every single day, how to do the little things right, how to practice, how to be on time, just all those things. And we're not perfect, you know, but we definitely are headed in the right direction. And I feel you're seeing a lot of those results uh, on the on the field as well, too. So it, it's huge. I mean, it, it does so much. And I think it goes so much when when you preach something so much and then you're able to have the results go with it. It makes it very easier to generate more excitement Uh uh, more excitement, more kids, more coaches, more more uh, uh, more people on the united front moving forward, and I think we're we're at that spot. And coach, just uh, well, once again, congrats on the partial share of the yeah. league title. That is um, uh, very very deserved, overwhelmingly deserved, especially great great performance over the year from your team, your coaching staff. Just just overall, it very deserved and. Nice to see that being the case. Uh, number three, going into the postseason, obviously that affords you a few benefits. One of them being the, you know, lower bra- lower bracket. I would guess you would say um, opponent in week one. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Has this been a change for some reason? I feel like I remember some sort of bye week for the top four teams in years past. Is that something that has changed? Am I having a weird Mandela effect about something? Um, <laughs> uh, what, what, what are, what are your thoughts on where, where you guys ended up in the rankings and going into week one of the postseason? Um, well, I, honestly, I don't, I don't, not that I'm aware of, maybe that might've been during the eight man format. Um, okay. That yeah. Sense, that, right? I, I, I think, I think that's where I'm having the confusion there. Cause would that, that be what? So, six yeah. teams, six teams play. Yeah, so, so somewhere, somewhere right. in that ballpark. So, so and I, we, I didn't come into, I came into the format that it, that that what it is now. Really, I came in, you know, after that COVID year. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, you know, you got sixteen teams that make it. I think uh, you know, our first year we were seeded six. Uh, last year was thirteenth, and then this year to be a top three uh, seeded team, I think, is a big accomplishment on our part. You know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't put too much stock in that from the standpoint of it's not one of our goals. Our goals are one of the first goal is to take care of our crossover games and then to be able to go win our Buckeye division, you know, and I think we did that. And then after that, you kind of see where things land. Okay. Well, and then what's that next step? The next step is okay. We got a birth in the playoff and we earned a home game. Phenomenal. And then being able to play, uh, you know, at our, at our home field is an extremely, big accomplishment for us. So I'm excited. I think the playoffs bring about a new season, a new mentality. Um, You know, really what I don't hammer home a lot with our kids is kind of that do or die mentality. I think that kind of creates, it creates a little bit too much pressure on them that they don't need. Right. Especially when I think we've been doing a lot of things and doing a little bit, a lot of the little things. Right. So we talk about more about just continuing to work the process. Um, So each day is that day is the most important day. And 
I think we've had a good couple of days and our kids are, you know, are excited. They've been locked in. Um, I think they kind of know what's at stake. So that makes it a little easier. And there's such a different investment into our program this year. Uh, so being able to watch them practice the last few days have been have been quite a joy because you can see the focus is is squarely on you know going out there and being able to perform to the best of our abilities on Friday night. I got one more sort of wacky question uh, before I ask you about uh, this week's games. I saw in WTOL uh, Andy Brungard, the Anthony Wayne head coach, he has this tradition where he now he camps out on the field after they beat Perrysburg, and he has a little more ties. He went to Perrysburg, so it's got a little deeper of a connection for him. So I then segue to ask you, do you have any traditions that are even almost similar, whether they're bigger or smaller that you have, that you've maybe implemented, anything anything like that that uh, might uh, fans might find interesting? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> honestly, um, after the game, typically it, it, it revolves around me um, – Going, I usually stay at the at the facility for a little while and make sure the film's uploaded and uh, all that good stuff. And then I feel like by the time I start organizing my thoughts and, and getting ready for the next day, whether it's an away JV game and and all that good stuff, my eyes are closed and it's 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 five in the morning on Saturday morning. So uh, no, hats off the coach. I mean that's a pretty cool tradition that he does. I saw the same thing and and he's a good guy and uh, you, know, you got to be careful what you put out there because then you got to stick to it, right? <laughs> And uh, I think he he found himself in that situation. So, no, I, I don't have it much at all other than, you know, celebrating with the coaches and uh, going home to the fam. Yeah, but li- living up to what you uh, put out there in the public, I'm pretty sure Hugh Jackson had a very, very cold dip into Lake Erie <laughs> <laughs> as part of one of those things. I, I, I feel the coach for Anthony Wayne may want to have a word with him in that regard. That's a good one. Yes, but, that uh, was- that's a good I mean, to, I will say to their credit, good, good on both of them. Yes. Actually, you know, yes. honoring what they say they're going to honor, but no doubt about it. No man, doubt it was cold it. Friday night. <laughs> sure. That was the best strategy in the world, but uh, lo- looking to this Friday, you guys, uh, not once, once again, number three in the bracket, taking on number 14, Olin Tangy Liberty. Uh, what are some of the things you've seen film wise on them? coming into this one because just just to call it as is a pretty unorthodox playoff team with a pretty heavily loss heavy record going into their first week of the postseason yeah well uh first off i mean a little history behind it um they've had what steve hale uh was a coach uh for has been a coach for them for a very very long time um i want to say since the school opened you know so if you think about that aspect i think the school was 20 years old that don't Quote me, I don't want to be wrong, but yeah, 20 years. And and he's been there since day one. Um, so they've been steady, Eddie. They've been very, very competitive. I think they had one bad year, and that was essentially uh, in their mind. And I'll be able to explain what I mean by that is their first year. Uh, and that was kind of really trying to help move and change the program around. And they've been pretty steady ever since then. Uh, this is a team, in my personal opinion, you can, and it goes back to my point about even our last game as well, too. You know, you can't let records distract you. Um, this is a team that the prior year in, in 2022, uh, they were five and five at the end of the season. Uh, they went on to play four extra games in the playoffs, uh, resulting in, and they beat Perrysburg and they beat uh, Whitmer and somebody else was in there as well too. I want to say, yeah, double, they beat Whitmer to start off with. They beat Dublin Jerome, they beat Perrysburg and then they went on to, they went on to lose to Springfield uh, at that point in time as well, too, which is really a talented Springfield team. So 
and the other teams, the other three are four and six, four and six, and then five and five. So really you're talking about eight teams that are 500 or better. So I say all that to say that there's, it's a pretty talented group, pretty talented group of kids who uh, are replacing eight seniors on the defense side of the ball, really 10 because two of them who return are playing offensive line now. So uh, they just are getting hot at the right time. So we, we don't, we don't take them lightly at all. Uh, we know kind of the gauntlet of games they've played in. Uh, so we're super excited about the matchup. Uh, it's going to be a good football game and, um, I know it's easy to look at records, but this is one that you got to throw out the door because it's playoff time now, right? Talking Finley High School's head of football coach, Stefan Adams, here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Adult from the Frickers Studios. And you mentioned them kind of getting hot at the right time, you know, with some of the transitions they made uh, on the lines. What can you say about some of those uh, those playmakers they, they have that uh, could cause some trouble? I think everything starts with um, their the running back, Jake Strzok. Um you know, he's 6'1", 190. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's an Ohio State lacrosse commit. Uh, I want to say one of the first – I want to say one of the first uh, clips that we saw was him hurling a guy, uh, you know, over a linebacker. Um, he's pretty explosive, and, and they want to to get him the ball. They want him to, to be the guy to essentially take over the game. And then they have a solid quarterback who started last year as a sophomore as well, too, and he's a junior now. Pretty strong kid, about 5'11", 180. Uh, he seems like he has a good handle and grasp of the offense and where how to anticipate his throws um, and a couple of receivers that can kind of take the top off as well, too. So I think they're they're a tough team, team and they've shown a lot of good stuff. And I think on the defense side of the ball, they got a starting middle linebacker. It was a good ball player, uh, along with uh, some 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 D lineman and nose tackle, who I think is a, is a monster on um, Jacob Beer. I can't say his last name. I don't know how to say it, but he's a pr- pretty stud, 6'2", 248. So. They have a good, they're very well coached. Uh, they're very fundamentally sound, and 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 it's going to be one of those games where they're they're more bend but don't break, if you know what I mean. Yeah, with that, I mean, you do bring up a great point about that. That is why I brought up the win loss record during the research. Yeah. Like, man, they they've they may be three and seven, but they've had a gauntlet of a way to get into the postseason. No doubt themselves, and, and kind of taking a bit of a broader stroke with that one as well. More just that Columbus and northern western columbus side of things where it's really just seems year in and year out all those programs just pump out very highly competitive teams again and again and again it is is it just a, a little bit of a different brand of football in columbus what what would be your takeaway from what they do in that region i mean between hill hilliard olentangy upper arlington just always seems like they generate a ton of teams that are ready to compete and making postseason runs yeah well i think uh, a lot of things that you 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 mentioned and talked about right i think uh you're down in a very heavy populated area right um a lot of uh a lot of people i mean i, I always view columbus as a very well built up farmland and it still has like endless possibilities so i say all that to say like you're, you're looking at a place just it's flooded in people uh a lot of skill a lot of talent uh, a lot of rich talent, a lot of good coaches, a lot of people that flock down that way. Um, it's just a lot of talent people down there. So I think it's just that bad, and it is there. They're growing rapidly. A lot of people want to to move to that area. So I just think you get a lot of talented kids that are, that are playing ball down there and a lot of schools with great coaches and um, some good backing behind it. So, yeah, I think there's just a lot. It's, it's very talent-rich in a city like that. Matt, you can ask your uh, juice question. <laughs> 
man, it's the postseason. I don't think I necessarily need to ask the Jews right. question. It's, uh, I mean, it, I'm going to anyway because I, 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 I need, I need my, uh, I need it going into it. I don't need it because, well, I mean, first, I don't need it. I want it. That's the right. bigger issue. But I, I will say, coach, obviously, first week of the postseason, when you get to keep playing, losing, you're done. You get the home game. You're going to be playing it in front of the home crowd at Donnell. A opponent that on paper people may try and dismiss, but when you actually go just a little bit past surface level, actually a very competitive team with a lot of talent on them. But what is the message for the fan base and the team going into this one on Friday night? Yeah, no, it's, 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 I hope it's a new season. Uh, it's a new opportunity. It's, it's, a, it's a new it's another page that we get to continue to add to our, our the book of our 2023 season, um, the legacy that's left behind, all the all the good things we've done. You know, it, it's a chance to improve on that. And, you know, I think it's been fun to watch, right? Because I've even come with a little bit of like, if I need to have this motivational speech or, you know, really this, this something to get them going. But like, I, I think I'm just motivated by the kids myself, right? Like, we we know what the situation is. We we've accomplished some of our, our our first level goals that we want. Now it's time to go out there and take it one game at a time. And um, you know we continue to kind of keep the message that to, to do it for our seniors, um, do it for the guys who have really blazed the trail and really have been through a lot to get to this point in time. And you know why why not go out there and and, and put out there a great brand of football that I feel that we are primed to continue to do uh, with each other. Our kids have kept the main thing the main thing with each other. And that's the process, you know, so let's go out. We just, we know what we got to do. We got to handle our business. We got to play hard and be physical. Um, but we are super excited for the opportunity. And I, I can't wait to watch our kids essentially, you know, with the way we practice and how we practice unleash themselves on Friday night. But we're going to enjoy these next couple of days of, with being with each other and practicing and getting better and working the process and then be able to put a good product out there on Friday night. So we're juiced. We're ready. We'll be ready. This has been Finley High School's head football coach, Stephen Adams. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. Good luck on Friday against Olentangy Liberty. Appreciate you guys. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. We come back, we'll preview some high school football playoff action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. It's cash for cars at Warner Economy Corner in Finley. Not much has changed with the shortage of good quality used cars, but Warner Economy Corner is looking to buy. At the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard, Warner Economy Corner is paying cash for cars. Bring your vehicle down to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and go home with cash in hand. Warner Economy Corner is buying cars and making deals. Open daily Monday through Friday. The Northwestern Water and Sewer District now has two watersheds in Fostoria to get pure water at a low price. Watersheds are located off of Plaza Drive on the north end of town and our newest location near 4th and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try watershed water. Just bring your own containers and fill up for a quarter a gallon. Try watershed water today. For all locations, go to nwwsd.org. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morse. Matt Common here with you once again. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from being at midfield along with the 
comeback and awful announcing. Finley High School's head football coach, Stefan Adams, for joining us today on the show. If you missed any part of it or just want to hear it again, head over to dummyfb.com. Click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. We might not be physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Pick up from the carryout window, dine-in, or get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order. Find them online at frickers.com. And now let's take a look at some high school football. We'll look at the postseason, take a look at uh, all of the regions we have some area teams competing in. We'll start at the top with uh, with the Finley Trojans. Of course, just got done talking with Stephen Adams, but Finley, the three seed overall in that Division One Region Two top seed is Lewis Center Olin Tangi and Finley again the three seed. So Matt looks like uh, Finley could ensure could uh, could sure have a. Uh, an e- not an easy road, but they certainly have a, I guess, manageable road, I'll call it, to uh, at least winning a, a few games here in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, it's that they have a pretty clear path to a deep run. Um, that's not to say it's an easy path to a deep run. It's a clear path. They, they certainly have a very clear way that they can go where they'd actually be able to make a pretty decent run in this region. And, you know, honestly, maybe even a step or two further past that, maybe even a little bit further past that. Um, Make no mistake though. This is a loaded, loaded, loaded region. I mean, Olin Tangi, excuse me, and Olin Tangi Berlin at the top there with number three, that that's clearly your top tier. But, I mean, having Dublin, Kaufman, Whitmer, Miamisburg, Perrysburg, Springfield in that mix as well. I mean, yes, yeah, especially Springfield, their record at 5-5, five and five, probably not on the surface scaring a lot of people out there. But, man, I wouldn't necessarily want to go against them. That's still a pretty talented team in their own right. So, yeah, this is, for my money, a surprisingly loaded um bracket this year but i do think finley has a pretty reasonable path to a regional final and honestly at that point you kind of let the chips fall where they may they they could make a run they have the talent they got the skill and i mean we we make it no secret what we think of coach adams as as a coach as a motivator as a strategist and stuff like that we we think he's one of the best out there and it this seems like it could gear itself up nicely to be able to prove that and present that for coach Adams and this Finley squad going forward. It, it It's a good bracket for them. Switching over to division three region 10 Colombian, you know, similar to Finley. They are the three seed in their region. They do have a handful of really good teams, but the, the biggest thing to note, of course, is uh, having Toledo central Catholic at the top of the region as the top seed, of course, did win the state title in division two, a season ago, Norton is the two seed in that one with Mansfield Sr. as the four seed. So do have some teams in their own right that are competitive in that region. And, I mean, you know, we I got to see Columbian, you know, a few a few weeks ago in that uh, doubleheader we got to cover against Clyde. And when when that offense is humming, they can certainly compete with, uh, with the best of them. And uh, they're going to need that offense to continue humming. Uh, for them to uh, be able to make a little run of their own. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for for Colombian, I mean, it lives and dies with that offense. If they're if they're firing on all cylinders, if they're doing 
what they're supposed to do offensively. I'm with you 100%. I think maybe in this region, Central Catholic is the only team that could keep up with them when they are firing the way that they can be firing offensively. Now, that is a if kind of situation because the other thing about this region, you look at it, defensively, it's a pretty stacked region in its own right. I mean, you, you look at the number 14, Mansfield Senior. That's a pretty solid squad out of Mansfield. Rocky River from the Cleveland area. I mean, I, I get to see news feeds about them. They're a very talented organization, a very talented team. Um, Buckeye out of Medina, not Medina, <laughs> as, um, as um, Kevin would say on that one briefly. Uh, they certainly have the opportunity to turn some heads as well. And then, then you get a few staples, Clyde, Sandusky, Lutheran West are at the tail end of this bracket as well. So I'd say this is a pretty evenly stacked bracket. I do think it runs through central Catholic, even with the kind of offensive output that Colombian is capable of. So it's, it's going to be an interesting region to pay attention to because if Colombian can come out firing and really get their offense going early and often in these games, Again, I think the only one in this region that can actually keep up with them is most likely Central Catholic, maybe Norton. I mean, I'm pulling up Norton stuff right now, and it's they have some good teams on their schedule, but a lot of their points and stuff like that are coming from the fact they beat Firestone, who's a Division II Region 5 team, and they beat them decisively, and Firestone went 5-5. Five and five. I, I would argue pretty decisively the record for these teams. They have a five and five at Northwest six and three university school. Another big win for them was in region division four, region 13, a nine and one Streetsboro team. But then since that point, they've had five and five Woodbridge one and nine Coventry O and 10 Springfield five and five Cloverleaf four and six field field, and then closed out with three and seven Ravenna. It's, I wouldn't say they're a, I wouldn't say that they're not worthy of the number two spot. They've done some very good things. They've beaten good teams, but at the end of the day, they have a lot of their points coming from two wins in particular that honestly might be the reason that they did jump Colombian in that regard. So I'm curious to see what they can do in their matchups going forward, but I really think this region does run through Toledo central Catholic and Tiffin Colombian in particular. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Lance Morris, Matt Common breaking down some high school fo- football postseason as we continue and shift over to now Division 5, Region 18. Top seed is Liberty Center, a team that made a state semis run a season ago. They actually take on Elmwood in the first round. That was the regional title matchup a season ago that you uh, you actually got to be a part of and see. Um, mm-hmm. Edison is the two seed. Archbold, the three seed. Uh, Liberty Benton is the five seed. There are most local team in that region, but you also have Oak Harbor. You got to see them play for Astoria this season. Uh, same thing. Uh, Oak Harbor actually plays Otsego. So you saw a couple of those teams uh, play throughout this season. Eastwood in the mix at seven as well. Pleasant is 10. They're actually playing Eastwood. Coldwater, the fact that Coldwater is a six seed is kind of crazy because Coldwater is always one of those teams that's right at or very close to the top. So, 
I mean, another another region that uh, ha- has a lot of talented teams because Oak Harbor, they're the four seed, and I think they're undefeated or, or nine and one at the very least. So that's a very top uh, top team up there. So that's a that's another region, Matt, that has uh, has a lot of good teams. Yeah, I mean, good luck picking who's going to win this region. <laughs> I, I mean, this is it. it I, I'll even take it a step further. I'm 100% convinced that the state champion of Division Five is coming out of this region this year. Uh, Liberty Center, they just they look phenomenal. They've built up that program so incredibly well. Edison having a great season. Archbold, just historically a quality team. Oak Harbor undefeated but kind of runs into a problem that you saw with Carey and even Coldwater to an extent this year being so high up division wise in their own particular conference. They don't really do themselves any favors in conference because of that. They don't get a ton of points outside of that. Uh, Liberty Benton. I mean, you, you got Mason Mod, you got Seth Elkert and the Elkert boys just in general. That's a very talented team and hats off to coach Garlock. He's kept, kept the train running quite effectively there. But really, the two that stand out to me are actually Eastwood and Genoa area being in there. And the the fact that they're in the postseason, but for Genoa, just on the outside of a home game, I, I personally think they're going to beat Huron. I think they'll win against Huron. But Eastwood having a game against Pleasant, then I think that's a winnable game for them. But I, it's... It depends on what Coldwater does. I mean, Coldwater's part of that MAC. I was going to say, Coldwater's nine and one, and their only loss was to Marion Local. Yeah, it's so Coldwater is there probably, to some extent, the team to beat once again. I mean, it's I'd be surprised if they're not. Uh, Liberty Center very talented in their own right. Like I mentioned, Liberty Benton. I, I feel backs were kind of, you know, glossing over Liberty Benton in this region, but. Really, I mean, this region is literally nothing but conference champions or conference runner-ups. This is a very, very stacked region. And I will once again say I'm checking the other regions in Division 5 because Perry is at the top of Division 5 Region 17 at 10-0. Ironton, who you hear about quite a bit. Ironton, Fairland, and Barnesville are the top three in... Division five region 19 Ironton. I know they've made a couple state title runs over the past couple years. That name's familiar to me. And then it's um, Germantown Valley view Waynesville and Brookville are the top three in the Cincinnati region. And they're good teams. They do, they do good jobs in their own right. It's just, can you tell me a more stacked region in division five than Liberty center, Edison, Archbold, Oak Harbor, Liberty Benton, Coldwater, Eastwood Huron as your top eight teams. I mean, all those guys have had turns being number one seeds in recent years at different stages and in different regions and divisions. So it's like, this is just a wildly stacked region. So I guess I'm going to say it could end up being between Liberty Center, Liberty Benton and Coldwater, but don't sleep on Archbold. Don't sleep on it. Really, if you're in the postseason for Division 5, Region 18, you, if you win that, I'm even going to take a step further for Elmwood at the 16th seed. If they win it, congratulations. You're probably <laughs> going to be the state champions. So it's, it, it's a, it's a loaded bracket, man. You know, lots of, uh, lots of good teams in that bracket. I mean, uh, like you said, Liberty Benton won the BVC. They're only the five seed in that, in that region. Yeah. 
Coldwater, MAC runner-ups, only loss to Marion Local. Eastwood, they were the runner-ups uh, to Oak Harbor, who won the NBC in their in their first year being in it. I mean, Eastwood always, you know, historically a strong team. Same thing for Genoa. I mean, in some of these conferences, you know, obviously when you have you know 16 teams, not every conference, every region going to be loaded from top to bottom, but. I mean, yeah, they're struggling a little bit, but Otsego's had some years where they were really strong recently. That wasn't too long ago. Elmwood, certainly not as good as they've been in previous years, but they have some guys that have been in some of those big games. So, I mean, obviously you have to lean on the top, one of those top six teams likely being the team that comes out of that region. But at the end of the day, it, it could really be any really of those, I would say, top six or seven. I, I, I would legitimately say out of that top six or seven, I'd even take it a step further all the way to the top nine. I think Genoa is kind of where the realistic state title expectations may come to a close to some extent within this region. But the fact of the matter is even the bottom half of the bracket for that region, those are all teams I really wouldn't want to play at any point just because they are good teams in their own right. So yeah, re division five, region 18, that might be, until we get to the, the next two regions that we cover as well, could very well be one of the most loaded regions in the state of Ohio. So let's shift over now to division six region 22. You have Columbus Grove at the top of that region eight and two overall right behind them. Bluffton nine and one Colonel Crawford also nine and one. That one loss comes to Carey, who's right beneath them at number four. You also have, some teams like Ottawa Hills in the mix. They're number six. You have Winford at number 10. Margareta team we've seen a little bit. They're at number 11. They're six and four overall. Ashton Crestview a little down from previous years. They're four and six overall, but they were a team that hadn't lost a regular season game in many years prior to this uh, slightly down season. And then you also have Seneca East. They're sneaking in there at number 14. Lakota at number 16 also was able to find themselves into the postseason. So I wouldn't say this region is as stacked as what we saw, you know, in, uh, in that division five region, but you know, Bluffton's had a really good year Grove, you know, they were a team that were in the state semis a year ago. They lost to, to Marion local. Like it seems like a lot of teams just seem to do uh, carry. I mean, they're right there. They're eight and two. They lost their first two games of the year and haven't lost again since then, including beating Colonel Crawford. So I mean, and then Columbia Station, a team that made a little bit of a run a season ago as well. I know they knocked out Hopewell Loudon last year. So, again, you have, you know, a little bit more top-heavy compared to some of those other regions maybe, even if they're not quite as stout. So, you know, no undefeated team in this region. But another one that, again, I, would you be surprised if Kerry wins that region? Because I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. And, and I would say the reason that they don't have an undefeated in this region in particular is this region is very intra-conference heavy as well right. so i mean it's it's one of those things where i think when you look at this region in particular sure on paper they don't have the win-loss records that you say oh man this is just a stacked region but it really is a very powerful region i mean columbus grove has been having a phenomenal year bluffton had a seven straight week period without giving up a point not a touchdown a point yeah I, I mean, they are a dominant, dominant team. Just hats off to Columbus Grove for playing the game of their life against them to win that one 14 to seven last week. Colonel Crawford, they, they've had a very solid run. They've been steady as they go out of the out of a uh, North Robinson for a good bit there. 
And they certainly look poised to keep that going. They're playing a Seneca East team that they won 29-14 against earlier this year. Terry, they look at the the start of this year. We were all kind of sitting there going, is everything okay down in Cary? Losing like they did to Hope All Out and then the Galleon. But they actually turned out that Galleon had a good year. I mean, they're 7-3 and three on the year. Hope All Out and obviously 10-0. and 0, Very dominant season in their own right. So... Turned out they just had really good opponents to start things off. And then once they were able to get back into their winning ways, they really turned things around. And I'll just call out the team that's, you know, exactly eight minutes away from my house. <laughs> this one, I can ride my bike past their football field if I really feel compelled. Columbia Station, the Columbia program they have there, it's that's a program that went from almost not existing, I believe, about 10 years ago to they are a perennial playoff team and they are no slouches either. So, yeah, D- Division 6, Region 22, I mean, that's not even counting Ottawa Hills. That's not counting Tenora, Western Reserve, Margareta, who could maybe turn some heads once they get in there. It's th- There's a lot of good teams in this region. I think it's kind of anyone's game. I will say I think this one is a little more top-heavy than others. I do think it's going to most likely come down to Columbus Grove and Bluffton. I think Carey's a very good team. I just don't know once you get to like a regional semifinal or something like that, or even a regional final, if you can keep up with those two teams just because of how good they have been this year. But this one's a little bit more of anyone's guess. It's going to be a going to be a tough bracket to figure out because it is fairly loaded from top to bottom. And especially at that top tier, it's two of the best of the best. I think this is another one that whoever comes out of this region has a very, very good shot of being the state champion. I mean, you do have Versailles out of 624 along with Williamsburg and Cincinnati Country Day. So you have some teams that have made historical runs that are still in it as well. Just you, you kind of get that feeling that it's going to be, you know, whoever comes out of 22 then gets the luxury of having to play Kirtland who finally lost a regular season game as well. So, you know, they're going to be coming prepared. And it just goes to show how much teams can improve from, you know, the early parts of the season, because I saw carry against Hopewell Loudon. And Hopewell, you know, they, they kind of thoroughly dominated them. The score wasn't quite as uh, close as that indicates. And I saw Columbus Grove scrimmage against Arlington, and, you know, they did some good things, but I certainly didn't come away from that as Columbus Grove is going to come away and be the top seed in that region. So, I mean, not that that's a surprise, but it, it's just kind of crazy how much these teams can improve. Well, yeah, and you know what? It's... I'm a firm believer, especially with the way the brackets have, not the brackets, the way the season has changed, how they've moved things up. I've kind of become a believer in the, I don't really put a lot of stake into week one. Um, Just because the way they've moved the the preseason around, the way they moved the training camps around, some of the things they've been able to do. I know they get, they technically get a little bit more time, but I feel like they don't, actually get more time if that makes sense it it seems like you're still starting just because you're starting early it still feels like they may be figuring some things out in week one for most of those teams and that could very well be the case for carry i mean week two against galleon kind of that that's the one for me that kind of turned 
everyone on their heads looking at that going, wow, they lost a Galleon, but then Galleon turned it around and they, they kept it going seven and three season for themselves. So it, it's it, hard to really gain, glean anything from preseason and week one. It's really once you get into week two and really more so than that week three. It's when you can really start identifying who's going to be what, who's going to be those top tier, who's going to be those good, but not great. Who's going to be those people just in the thick of things throughout the year. It, it usually takes a little bit at this point, especially with the changes to preseason. So Carrie, they, they're certainly capable. They're certainly a team that I think could make a run. Uh, Division six, region 22, your consolation prize. You just have to play Kirtland at some point. And I don't know if Kirtland's going to let anyone beat them ever again, after finally giving up their regular season win streak. Continuing with our playoff preview as we shift to our last region as we go to Division 7, Region 26, Hopewell Loudon, your top seed at 10-0 Calvert. Right behind them, 8-1 with that lone loss coming to Hopewell Loudon. Lanesfield Goshen, number 3. Antwerp, number 4. Macomb, down to number 6 after the loss last week to Liberty Benton. Pandor Gaboa will play Lipsick in the first round. Another Putnam County rivalry matchup for that one. Arlington is the 13 seed. They will hit the road and will take on Antwerp. And uh, Montpelier will be the opponent for Hopewell Loudon. Crestview will take on Calvert. And just to show, you know, how good this region is, Montpelier is the 16 seed, and they are 7-3. and three. And, you know, right beneath them, you have some teams that are either 500 or just above 500 that missed on the postseason. Gibsonburg, Harden Northern, along with Ridgedale and Delphus St. John's, who it's actually kind of crazy because Delphus St. John's made the playoffs last year at 4-6. and six. This year they're four and six, and they are not even the first team out. There are a handful of teams out from being in the postseason. So that just tells you how much improved this region is from just one season ago. And I mean, Matt, we've seen, you know, pretty much uh, pretty much most of the teams on this region we've seen at one point or another, or we'll see, you know, by week's end. But I mean, what's uh, what's kind of your kind of your thought process and what we uh, what we could see in this region? Uh, well, my my thought process is that this one is another stacked region, just absolutely stacked region. I will say uh, Montpelier as a seven and three. I, Yeah, it's a little surprised to see a team with that kind of record at number 16. But when you look at the teams they've played, all three of their losses are against the only teams that have winning records that they played against. I mean, otherwise, Ant Antwerp, they lost 42 to six. They lost to... Eden 35-34. That was a pretty close game, but then they lost to Ottawa Hills 48 to 7. I'm trying to do the math here, at least for teams that count because they did play a team out of Michigan as well. I think the combined win total for their other seven for their seven wins. I'm seeing two, four, six, seven, ten, eleven. So eleven wins out of those set eleven wins total combined for those teams. So I I, I think Montpelier is exactly where they should be in the rankings and I kind of think Hopewell Loudon will make short work of them. I really do. I, I think what we saw against Calvert would be indicative of that, even though it was a very good game. I think Hopewell Loudon is a better team overall, especially if they are fully healthy. Uh Calvert versus Crestview, that's actually the one that scares me probably the most out of this bracket because th those two teams just do not like each other. And you can absolutely throw the record out the window in that matchup year in and year out. Um, I do give 
Um, Arlington, I think they might actually give Antwerp a little bit of a run. I think that could be a very interesting game for them. Um, I think also for the team directly under them, Eden, I think they're just happy that they don't play Arlington after the last time they, those two played in the postseason. So I think they're as pleased about that. Um, I will say in our team to keep in mind with this, you, you have a several. I mean, Pandora Gilboa is good. Lipsick is good. But I, I would keep an eye on North Central. North Central out of Pioneer, 9-1. and one, They are always a run-heavy team, kind of like that Eastwood type of situation where they're just going to run like crazy, run and run and run some more. Once you get into the postseason, you get into some ugly weather. Those are the types of teams that usually can make a bit of a run of it, no pun intended. So I think that could be a good matchup for Patrick Henry. And it, it it should make for some it should make for some fun games. I think this is a very fun bracket. It's got a lot of talent from top to bottom, a lot of good teams. I think this is probably one of the most evenly spaced out brackets in the state of Ohio in terms of the level of talent. So I don't think you're really going to have too many runaways at different points throughout this bracket going into the regionals, but. Flip side of that, again, at the end of the day, is whoever wins this is going to take on the winner of Ansonia and Marion Local. It's I, I I don't know how that's going to shake out, especially considering when you look at that region as well, 728, you got Marion Local and Ansonia 1 and 2 at 10 and 0. Minster sneaking around down there as well at 8 and 2 is the number five seed. You got Lehman Catholic who made a state title run a little while ago. Fort Lormie, who was a state semifinalist. New Bremen, who just recently went to the state title gets D- division seven doesn't get enough credit where credit's due. It is an absolutely loaded division with top tier talent. And I-, I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, another heavyweight title matchup between all the region winners for division seven, but seven twenty six especially, I think it's really balanced out in terms of the talent should make for a lot of fun games. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk some NFL action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Hi, this is Dawn from the Classic Hits Morning Show, and I've just heard that not all roofs are created equal. Is that true? That is true, Dawn. It's solely dependent on the people installing it. Hi, folks. This is Matt from MJ Brown Roofing Construction Company in Tiffin, Ohio. We're a family-owned company that's been in business since 1936. We're a full-service roofing contractor that have been working on both residential and commercial roofs. So no matter what type of roof you want, we have the expertise and the crews needed to install and maintain your roof for years to come. Call 419-447-5864 for a free, no-obligation inspection and quote today. For over 100 years, iron workers have been building America. Do you have what it takes to be an iron worker? Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be creative and solve problems? Do you like to be outdoors and don't mind getting dirty? With starting pay of $18 an hour and with medical and retirement benefits, there are iron worker jobs available in Northwest Ohio. To take your career to new heights, call the Iron Workers Local 55 Training Center at 419-382-3080 and build a better future. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Frickers Studios on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, and Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morse, Matt Common here with you. Almost out of time. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing for all joining us 
on the show, along with Stefan Adams, Finley High School's head football coach. If you miss any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to WFB.com. Click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons. And, of course, we're not at the Frickers in Finley physically, but stop in for their daily specials tonight and get their sirloin steak dinner. Pick up from the Carol window, dine, and get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order find them online at frickers.com Matt, let's take a quick look at the nfl of course uh, in the coming week have a handful of really good games you have the bucks versus the bills rams versus cowboys vikings packers is always frisky even when those teams aren't very good you got patriots dolphins patriots coming off of a win over the bills you got giants versus jets you have jag steelers texas panthers battle of the top couple quarterback selections and you got bengals niners Sunday night, sadly, we have the Bears versus Chargers, ugh. And then Monday, we have the Raiders against the Lions. So what are you uh, What are you looking forward to seeing uh, NFL-wise? Oh, well, I'm not looking forward to the most likely just beat down that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to receive at the hands of the Buffalo Bills, having lost in shocking fashion to the Patriots. I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. I feel <laughs> that's going to be kind of rough to watch. I'm not necessarily prepared for it. Um, it, it, it is kind of conference time or division time for that one. I mean, you got some good divi- interdivision matchups there. Vikings Packers that that one could raise some eyebrows, especially after the win against San Francisco and Green Bay really seems to be struggling in the Jordan Love era, at least early stages of it. Uh, Eagles versus commanders. That's you can kind of throw the record out the window for that one year in and year out. That usually just turns into a good game. Uh, t- two that really stand out to me, though, for different reasons, however, are going to be Falcons versus Titans because we should be seeing the start of the put chop mayo into his coffee Will Levis era <laughs> beginning in Tennessee. And I'm I'm curious to see just how disastrous that's going to go, if we're just going to be honest. And I'm really excited about Texans Panthers. I-, I-, I know the Panthers are a winless team, but it's it's Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud. That, that that's a game that should be fun to watch. And uh, honestly, just after the performance that occurred against Indianapolis, I, I certainly am going to have my TV tuned in to Brown Seahawks. Uh, th- this Browns defense at, at, yes, they gave up a lot of points, but at the end of the day, they really are starting to look the part and giving up a lot of points to, you know, Michael Pittman, Jr. Jonathan Taylor, a, uh, uh, relatively good offense in their own right not that surprising but how they were able to bend but not break at key moments i'm curious to see what they do against the seahawks to see if cleveland might actually be the real deal in the afc this year and and other than that that's i kind of feel they're going to be washes for games i mean chiefs broncos that's just going to be a beating what the ravens just did last week to detroit i don't think arizona stands much of a chance in that one if the 49ers figure things out, I think the Bengals are in for a bad day. I don't know why the Saints and Colts will be televised in any capacity <laughs> whatsoever. Um, I will say when it comes to the Bears Chargers, I am very much looking forward to my refund from the NFL Network in terms of that particular game. Uh, all came aside, though, it should actually be interesting to watch. Uh, Ty- Tyson Bagent, Bagent or Bagnet, uh, how do you say Bay-Gent. his name? I'm sorry, was it? Bagent. Uh, sure that he actually looked pretty good the other day and last week in their matchup so maybe that turns into a fun game i I hope for your sake and for brandon's daily sake so we don't have to say the phrase get him out once again next week get him out 
there you go, that they come away with a win. Uh, Raiders, Lions, I'm cautiously optimistic about that one, only because if the Lions win decisively, I'm hoping that means the end of the Josh McDaniels as a legitimate head coaching candidate era comes to an abrupt and very aggressive close. A little 30-second soapbox. The man dropped the ball horrifically in Denver as a head coach. Goes back to New England, has Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, doesn't really do much of anything. He just kind of exists, and suddenly everyone's like, oh, he's a quarterback whisperer. He's a guru. He's a genius. When, When will people learn? When will coaches and general managers in the NFL learn that you are buying a bad bill of goods if you do anything involving trading for, signing, or bringing in a coach that Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots don't want anymore. Say what you will about their record. Say what you will about Mac Jones, who seems like a just dirty-as-all-get-out player, and I hope the Dolphins just run up 90 on them. If Bill Belichick gets rid of you or lets you go or says, yeah, go interview for these coaching jobs, he's getting rid of you for a reason. I have yet to see someone pan out in a post-Patriots era that was not named Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski. Josh McDaniels needs to be removed as the coach of the Vegas Raiders. And frankly, they dropped the ball by not having Biakia as their head coach going forward after what he did as an interim a couple years ago. It's they, They just dropped the ball on that one. The Raiders need to reset. It is once again proof positive of the Raiders. Doesn't matter if they're in Vegas. Doesn't matter if they're in a brand new stadium. Doesn't matter if you hand them the script to the NFL year in and year out. The Raiders are just going to Raider. And I'm hoping the Lions can put the death knell in the Josh McDaniels era. So hopefully the Raiders can rebuild, regroup, and get back to some semblance of being the team that you used to fear in the 70s and the 80s and even the early 2000s. Before we go, a couple quick things I want to take a look at. The World Series matchup is now set. Both the ALCS and NLCS each had to go to seven games. It'll be the Texas Rangers going up against the Arizona Diamondbacks after they were able to come back from being down 2-0. Who, uh, who are you rooting for in that one? Well, first of all, the Arizona Diamondbacks should give every team like the Cleveland Guardians hope that they too can get to the World Series in just some capacity. I'm going with the agents of chaos, man. I'm picking Arizona. I know the Rangers have a stacked lineup, a stacked bullpen and rotation, but there's just something about this Diamondbacks club, man. They seem like they're a team of destiny kind of situation. So I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks. I will say, I think it's going to be a great World Series. I think it goes seven. The NBA season also tipped off somewhat quietly last night because of just everything going on in the sports. Lakers beat the Nuggets. Suns beat the Warriors. What are Who are some of the guys you're looking forward to seeing this year? Well, certainly not KD and Phoenix because he proved to be just a colossal has-been situation as he's been every other stop since Golden State, if you want my two cents. Uh, I really am looking forward to seeing Milwaukee, just to call it as it is, between Giannis and... Damian Lillard as their one-two combo with Chris Middleton still in the lineup. I think they're going to be very fun to watch. And I'll say it, Cleveland Cavaliers, I think they are a sneaky fun pick to be an NBA Finals contender. 
That'll just about do it for us here tonight. Again, big thanks to Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield, the comeback awful announcing, along with Finley High School's head football coach, Stephen Adams, for joining us tonight. And don't miss our coverage Friday of high school football. It all gets started at 6 o'clock with the NWO Orthopedics Psych-Up Show from the Frickard Studios. Bart Wilson, Trayvon Hastings will preview all the games for week 11 of high school football for the first round of the postseason. On Classic Hits, we'll have coverage of Tiffin Calvert as they play host to Crestview. Matt Com and Tom Ground will have that one for you on Classic Hits 96.7. Then on WFOB, we'll have coverage of the Hopewell Loudon Chieftains. They open a postseason play taking on Montpelier. Jimmy Nicholson and I will have that one for you from Bascom Friday night on WFOB. Then stay tuned in following the games for the NWO Orthopedics Scoreboard Show from the Fricker Studios. Bart Wilson and Trayvon Hastings will recap all the games for Week 11. You can hear that on Friday night once the games have wrapped up. And don't miss our coverage coming tomorrow night of high school volleyball. We'll have coverage of the Division Four District Finals. Calvert taking on Lakota. The first serve will come right around 6 o'clock. You can join Matt Common and I for our coverage of high school volleyball on Classic Hits 96.7 on Thursday. For my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Moore signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. Catch you in the next one.